I had my stroke on the Wednesday. So I woke up that Wednesday morning and I, I just felt really, really sick. And I got in a takeaway the night before. So I just kind of, I thought that that, that was what was wrong with me. I, I, Cause I felt really nauseous and I had no energy. So I thought that I had gotten food poisoning from it. I then attempted to text him to say that I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to meet for lunch and I was trying to cancel it. But those texts weren't making any sense. And that was at about one o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't think anything of it. I just kind of thought, oh, I, I can't text properly and I just want to go back to sleep. I just was going between the sofa and the bathroom because I was getting sick. And because I'd been moving to Dubai, I had left my rented accommodation and moved back in with my mom for that week. And she was supposed to be away. She'd been away the night previous and she was supposed to be away that night as well with my sister in Roscommon. So she's about two and a half hours away from where I live. And mum just said that she kind of felt that she should come home to me because if I was going to be moving abroad in a couple of days, it was the last time she'd get to see me for a couple of months. Took the spoon off her and went to feed myself. And that's when I realised that there was an issue because I wasn't able to even hold the spoon with the yogurt and sure yogurt went all over me and then she had to wash me all over again. So that was kind of the first indication to me that there was something seriously wrong. Hello, this is Mark Goodyear. Welcome to Stroke Stories. It's the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. In this episode, we hear from Fiona Barden from Dublin. Fiona was 33 when she suffered her stroke. Just before I had my stroke, I usually work as a teacher. So I'd been working away that year and I'd been doing kind of everything normal 33-year-olds were doing. I went to Spain that February with my mom and my sister for a holiday. I went to Canada at the Easter time to visit a friend over there. And then kind of in the summertime, it was usual stuff, weddings and catching up with friends and things like that. And I decided to take a career break from my school. I'd found that year particularly difficult in my school and stressful. So I decided I would take a career break and it was granted. And I applied for jobs in Dubai and I was successful in getting a job. So I was supposed to fly out to Dubai the Sunday before I had my stroke, but there was a shortage of teachers in the school. So they asked, could they postpone my flight and me coming out by a week? which I agreed to, it was grand. And it was during the two flights that I actually got sick. So I was really, really lucky because obviously you can't really fly if there's anything in your brain. So, and I didn't know there was anything wrong with me. I had my stroke on the Wednesday. So I woke up that Wednesday morning and I I just felt really, really sick. And I got in a takeaway the night before. So I just kind of, I thought that that, that was what was wrong with me because I, I, I felt really nauseous and I had no energy. So I thought that I had gotten food poisoning from it. And I was supposed to meet a friend for lunch. I actually went back through my text messages recently. I had text from him. I was texting about 12 o'clock being like, yeah, definitely set for lunch. Can't wait to see you. And then I was putting on a wash and I felt really, really sick. And I then attempted to text him to say that I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to meet for lunch and I was trying to cancel it. But those texts weren't making any sense. And that was at about one o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't think anything of it. I just kind of thought, oh, I, I can't text properly and I just want to go back to sleep. So after putting on the, the wash, I went back to bed and went to sleep for a bit. I woke up again later in the afternoon and made my way downstairs. And I just was going between the sofa and the bathroom because I was getting sick. And because I'd been moving to Dubai, I had left my rented accommodation and moved back in with my mom for that week. 
and she was supposed to be away. She'd been away the night previous and she was supposed to be away that night as well with my sister in Roscommon. So she's about two and a half hours away from where I live. And mum just said that she kind of felt that she should come home to me because if I was going to be moving abroad in a couple of days, it was the last time she'd get to see me for a couple of months. So that was another stroke of luck for me that um, she came home as I was getting sick in the bathroom and she's like, Jesus, Fiona, all right. And I do remember replying to her. Like I couldn't say what I needed to say. So I went back to the sofa and she came in and she said, look, I'll just go and get some seven up for you. You'll be grand. So she went and she got some seven up and she um, heated up to flatten the fizz out of it. And she was in the kitchen then later on. I think this was about eight or nine o'clock that night. And she just said she could hear a really strange noise coming from the sitting room where I was. And she came into the sitting room and she found me having a seizure on the floor of the sitting room. And I'd never had a seizure before. She panicked a bit, obviously, and then rang 999. I don't remember any of this whatsoever. This is just, this is what mum has said to me. But she rang 999 and the fire brigade came because... In Ireland, anyway, the, the fire brigade are paramedics as well as an ambulance service. And there was no ambulance service just available at that specific time. So the fire brigade came and the paramedics stayed with me until the ambulance men arrived and they took me off to hospital. And then when I got to hospital, they're like, oh, it could be a drug overdose. It could be meningitis. They were kind of going through a few different things of what it could be. And then I had another seizure in A&E. I think I came around again. And I remember managing to get across to mum that I needed to text the lady who had organised my new job in Dubai to tell her that I wouldn't be going to Dubai this week anyway. And after that, I think it was maybe three days later that I woke up and I was in ICU. And I remember waking up in ICU and there was a nurse there and she had washed me or whatever and she was giving me yogurt and she was feeding me yogurt. And I kind of got a, a bit annoyed with there. And I was like, like, why, why are you feeding me? Sure, I, I can well feed myself. And I took the spoon off her, or she gave me the spoon in fairness her, took the spoon off her and went to feed myself. And that's when I realized that there was an issue because I wasn't able to even hold the spoon with the yogurt and sure yogurt went all over me. And then she had to wash me all over again. So that was kind of the first indication to me that there was something seriously wrong. Fiona had a brief stay in hospital. I was only in hospital for 10 days in total. So I was in ICU, I think, for three nights. And then I was moved down to the high dependency unit. And in Ireland, we have like the public hospital and then we have private hospitals. And if you have private health insurance, depending on the level of private health insurance that you have, you can go to the public hospitals or the private hospitals. I don't pay that much private health insurance, but I do have it. So I was entitled to a private room in a public hospital. So I was in a private room by myself in what I now know was the high acute stroke unit. It was called HASU at the time. I remember from talking to the nurses, they just kind of said, um, oh, sure, like everyone else in hospital is so old. It's nice for you to have a room by yourself. So that's why I thought I was in that room. I didn't actually realize that I'd had a stroke. I knew there was something wrong, but they kept saying about like an, something on my brain. So I didn't. I just thought that there was an issue with my brain, like a clot in my brain or an infection or something. I didn't actually realize for a couple of months that it was a stroke. And when I was discharged from the hospital, I was discharged home to my mum's house rather than being discharged into a rehab facility. At the very start, I suppose, going home, I was delighted to be able to get home. And it was nice that I was going back to somewhere that I knew 
in my mom's house, I suppose we've been kind of been coming and going over the years of renting and stuff. So like she's well used to having someone at home. It wasn't until I got home that the realization of what I wasn't able to do kind of hit me and the realization, I suppose, for my family hit them as well. Like I remember the first time I went for a shower by myself, I didn't know how to turn on the shower. Like I, I literally stood there in front of the shower wondering how I'm supposed to turn it on. And it's an electric shower. You literally only have to press one button and the water comes out. And I had absolutely no idea what to do. I remember turning up and down the dials of the water pressure, nothing happening. Turning up and down the dial of the temperature, still nothing happening. And eventually I was like, oh, I wonder what this button does. And press the button for the water to come out. So it, it was the idea that I didn't know what I wasn't able to do until I went to do it and then couldn't do it. And that happened an awful lot of times. And that was very scary because I didn't realize that there was, well, I obviously knew there was something wrong with me, but I, it was how many things do I not know how to do anymore? Fiona's stroke also affected her written and spoken language. At the time as well, my language was very badly affected. If someone was talking to me, I would understand what they were saying. But if I was replying to them, even though I knew what I wanted to say in my head and the thoughts were forming in my head, the words that were formed in my head weren't the words that were coming out of my mouth. And sometimes I was aware that what I was saying wasn't what I wanted to say, but I wasn't able to correct it. And other times I had absolutely no idea that what I was saying didn't match what was in my head. So I might be saying something completely different to what I wanted to say, but not realize that I had said something crazy. I also had lost my ability to kind of process text. So like I remember reading like just the, one of the days that there happened to be a newspaper sitting on the coffee table and I remember reading the heading and I was able to read the words individually and I knew what each individual word meant. But by the time I got to say the third or fourth word, I'd forgotten what the first word was. So straight away, I was like, okay, well, I can't read anymore. Like, or I can't read a book anymore, things like that. So to me, that was a massive loss. Another issue, I suppose, was that I was hugely fatigued. And obviously, when you're sick, everyone's so worried about you. There's constantly people coming over to the house. But they didn't realize that even just me sitting there, having to listen to their conversation, not even partaking, it was just taking so much, zapping so much energy out of me. And they thought they were being brilliant, coming over and making sure there was someone with me all the time. But in reality, I just wanted to be left alone in a corner, not to have to talk to anybody and just just be. But I think my mum was so scared, obviously, that I would have another seizure that she wanted people to be with me at all times. So let's say she just was going out to do a food shop. Someone would happen to be passing by the door, which meant I was never alone. And I found that very difficult because obviously the week before I'd been an independent 33-year-old who was living by herself to having someone mind me at all times. And another issue then was when I had had my seizure, I had been on the sofa and I fell from the sofa and I fractured my shoulder. So it meant then that I had to go into hospital a good few times to get physio and things like that on that, but I wasn't able to drive. So then there was a constant trying to figure out who was able to take me in, who was available, what time the different appointments were and things like that. So there was an awful lot of trying to work around everyone's different schedules to, to see was there someone available to lift and lay me because it had taken the hospital as well a good few days to figure out what was wrong with me I was under three different neurologists so 
for the first few months when I was going back into the hospital, I was going back in for my shoulder appointments, for my physio appointments. And then I was also going back into different neurologists. So it just kind of felt like I was in and out of hospital so much, but there was no rehab happening. It was just hospital appointments and checking that I was still okay. And then I suppose as well with the seizure, they were very much concerned. They didn't want me to have another seizure. So I was put on anti-seizure tablets or anti-epileptic tablets to stop the likelihood of me having another seizure. I was given quite a high, well, what I assume is quite a high dose of anti-seizure tablets. And then when I was talking to my neurologist about the side effects I was having, like I couldn't sleep or I, I got quite low and I didn't want to interact with people and my thoughts were all over the place and I wasn't able to speak properly. They were like, it could be a side effect of the medication or it could be a side effect of this brain injury. And like, but we're not willing to decrease your medication yet because it's stopping you from having a seizure. And it, they, they weren't they weren't willing to take the risk to decrease it in case it would end up giving me another seizure. Coming up, Fiona talks about getting involved with the Irish Heart Foundation. So I've been able to meet other stroke survivors my own age. And I think that peer support was definitely the first time that I really felt understood because I was talking to people my own age and younger, knew exactly how I was feeling, that there was no judgment. You didn't have to start every conversation with, I've had a stroke and this is what's wrong with me and that's what's wrong with me. And getting back into teaching. Teaching is obviously a very hands-on job. There's so many decisions to be made throughout the day. There's so many things happening all at once. You really have to be so alert. You have to concentrate for an extended period of time. And there's just so many children in the classroom that your attention is just, it just has to be constantly on. Let's hear about the help Fiona received with her stroke recovery. I was referred to the National Rehabilitation Hospital as an outpatient, but it took from the August right through until March 2020 for me to get my first appointment with the National Rehabilitation Hospital. And that was obviously a gap of six, seven months. And it was only that I had a a consultation with one of my neurologists. He needed to get across the information that he wanted to get across to me. And he didn't really take the time to ask me how I was doing. And he basically turned to me and said, oh, sure, there's no need for you to go to rehab. You're well able to have a conversation. But what he hadn't realized was I was sitting there listening to him have a conversation. It wasn't a two-way conversation. And he never asked me to repeat what he said to me or anything. So I kind of I got really worried because he said, well, I'm going to write to the National Rehab and tell them that you don't need to go in for any rehab. And it just so happened that a speech and language therapist who had assessed me in the hospital rang me the very next day. Just she was like, look, you were on my list of people to ring. And I mentioned to her what the doctor said. And she was like, no, she's like, even from talking to you for five minutes, she's like, you absolutely need to have rehab. She's like, I can't believe he said that to you. And he's like, but now you're going to have to keep ringing them until you get your appointment because you want to get your appointment before his letter cancelling your referral goes to them. So I rang and rang and rang and rang and rang. And eventually I got into them and I got in with my speech and language therapist, Joan. And the first thing she said to me was, sure, you should have been here months ago. Like, this is crazy. So I kind of felt that I was on on the back foot starting off. So there was nothing really happening for six months. And then I, I was able to start my rehab. So I had speech and language therapy and I had occupational therapy. And she did my assessment the first day and she said, look, a new group started last week. We'll put you in from tomorrow. 
and it'll be the second week and we'll start from there, which was great. So I went in the next day and then it being March 2020, COVID came to Ireland properly and everything was shut down. So we went from having two hour appointments once a week as a group to having one hour appointments once every two weeks online and it was back at the time where we didn't know how to use zoom there was bad connections people didn't know how to put on their microphones people didn't even know how to put on their laptops so it was just very very frustrating and i was with the national rehabilitation hospital as an outpatient on and off for about 18 months but in that intervening time as well there was a hse hacking all the hospitals in Ireland weren't able to access any of their files, weren't able to contact patients or anything like that. So that was that was another obstacle to overcome. And then in the meantime, in the November 2020, I eventually just typed stroke into Facebook because I hadn't kind of been getting any success. I didn't know where I was supposed to go for, to for help. And I was just getting very frustrated that there was there was nothing properly happening and I came across the Irish Heart Foundation which is a charity here that deals with people who have heart disease and deals with uh, stroke survivors. I managed to get in touch with the Young Stroke Survivor Coordinator there and straight away they took me in. We did exercise classes on Zoom once a week. They do talks say on fatigue management. They do mindfulness courses. They do vocational therapy courses. They do art therapy courses. We've done cooking classes and we've now reached a point where we're back in person. So I've been able to meet other stroke survivors my own age. And I think that peer support was definitely the first time that I really felt understood because I was talking to people my own age and younger, knew exactly how I was feeling, that there was no judgment. You didn't have to start every conversation with I've had a stroke and this is what's wrong with me and that's what's wrong with me. You just went in and you just started a conversation and your conversation might just be about your week. It doesn't even have to be about a stroke, but just straight away, everyone's on the same page and you're just having the crack and doing the exercises or not doing the exercises, depending on different people's ability. And then from there, I was also able to, I was put in touch with another charity called Headway. So once I finished up with the National Rehabilitation Hospital, they brought me as far as they felt that they could bring me. They forwarded me on to Headway. So I was able to, I've been assessed by them and they want to give me cognitive skills input and some more psychological input. So at the moment I've been accepted by them, but I'm just waiting for the, the courses and stuff to start with them. Fiona's ambition is to return to work. I'm not back to work yet, so I'm, I usually work as a teacher. Teaching is obviously a very hands-on job. There's so many decisions to be made throughout the day. There's so many things happening all at once. You really have to be so alert. You have to concentrate for an extended period of time. And there's just so many children in the classroom that your attention is just, it just has to be constantly on. Like say, even if someone was going to the toilet and someone else needs to go, you're not supposed to let the second child out until the first child comes back. Or if I was teaching maths, you have to differentiate for all the different children's abilities. So I would sometimes have trouble now if I'm able to explain things one way, that's perfect. But then if someone said, oh, I don't really understand that. Can you explain it a different way? It, it's very difficult for me to think of a second, third, fourth, fifth different way of explaining things. Like even now, if I'm walking past a schoolyard and there's children out playing, the noise kind of gets through my head. I would love to get back to teaching. 
but I'm not there yet. And the problem as well is in Ireland, if you're just on normal sick leave, you get three months full pay and three months half pay. If you have a serious chronic condition, you get six months full pay and six months half pay. So I met the threshold to get the six months full pay and then the six months half pay. And then I was very lucky in that I'd been paying into salary insurance. So at the moment I'm getting, I think it's 65% of what my salary was when I went sick. So it's obviously not the best money in the world, but it's definitely a lot better than no money at all or getting just the 208 euro a week or whatever it is that you get from disability allowance. So I'm really lucky in that I had the salary insurance, which means as long as I'm making progress and as long as my intention is to go back to teaching, that my my salary insurance will continue to pay me my 65% salary until I get back working. But then the problem is with the Department of Education in Ireland, their phased return to work means that I would have to start in three full days a week and work up to five full days a week within the space of one term. But realistically, I wouldn't be able to start on three full days a week because the doctors and the people in rehab have advised me to do one morning a week and then two mornings a week and then one morning, one full day a week and build up that way. But the department um, aren't really willing to compromise. So that's uh, another obstacle that I have to overcome in due course. And Fiona says stroke survivors shouldn't be too hard on themselves during their recovery. Advice I give to stroke survivor is to not put so much pressure on yourself. If you're tired, take a rest or just lie down for 20 minutes, close your eyes in a darkened room. Don't feel the need to, if someone's visiting you, that's fine. But just say, look, I can only talk to you for 10 minutes. I think we can be incredibly hard on ourselves. So another thing I would say to someone is when you're comparing your progress, don't compare your progress to last week. You need to compare your progress to two months ago or three months ago. Or on days that you're feeling particularly bad about your progress, compare yourself to that day that you woke up in ICU or woke up in your bed and see how much progress you've made since then. The person you were before your stroke, to me, I don't, that person doesn't exist to me anymore. Like, yes, that was a, a brilliant Fiona, but that Fiona's gone now and I'm a new Fiona. And it's okay to kind of reflect and be like, okay, like she had a great life and blah, blah, blah. But I still have a great life. I have so many new friends that I would never, ever have come across had it not been for this. So I'm very much, this has happened to me. And yes, it it wasn't a brilliant time. There's always a good outcome from a bad situation. I've made so many new friends. I've been asked to do so many talks. I've been asked to do stroke survivor talks and to give peer support for people coming behind me on my journey and their own journey. So it's important to kind of reflect and see how far you've come and to be grateful for what you still have. When it comes to family, I suppose give the person time. I know myself, I was well able to hide my deficits and I know myself that my family don't know half of what was going through my head at the time, but that's me as a person and that might not be everybody. So just because the person may look like they're coping or just because a person may say they don't need help, maybe just keep checking them, but make sure to not do everything for them. Like it's very easy to sit back and go, Usher, 
they've had a stroke now, they can't make their tea or they've had a stroke now, I'll just do their shopping for them. Yes, it's really important for the first couple of months, but it's also important to promote the independence of that person again and to try and get them back to as full health as they can possibly get. You don't want them to get lazy or don't want them to get demotivated because they know that someone else will do everything for them. And another thing that was really, really important to me in my recovery was I reconnected, I suppose, with my counsellor. I was able to speak through everything with her and I was able to see the good and the bad and I was able to kind of get out all the negative emotions. And that was really, really important because when I talk to my counsellor, it's in a non-judgmental zone and it's she's not biased in any way and she's not gaining from me. Like it might be easier for my mom to be like, oh no, Fiona, don't go out tonight, you're too tired because she doesn't want to have to sit there and worry about what time I'll be home at. Whereas my counsellor and I were like, you know, it's, it'll be good for you now to reconnect with people and go out and get a bit of fresh air. So talking to a counsellor to me has been very, very beneficial and talking to other stroke survivors. And I suppose for family point of view, talking to other carers or other family members has been eye opening because it's, it's just given them more of an insight of what works or what doesn't work. And I think it's important as well to remember that all brain injuries and all strokes are different. Therefore, all recoveries are different. And everybody is an individual and everyone's motivation is different and everyone's targets are different and everyone will reach different targets and different life events at different stages of their lives. There's no linear recovery plan. It's just taking each day at a time or taking each month at a time, setting targets, setting challenges and hoping that you'll hit them. And if you don't hit them, that's fine. You can reestablish them and change them up a little bit and try it again. As a result of her stroke, Fiona's life was put on hold, but she's made great use of a variety of charities in Ireland to help her adjust and is working towards getting back into the classroom. Thank you for listening to Stroke Stories. Please do subscribe and rate the episodes you hear to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please do contact via our DMs on Twitter or Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.